Note, this episode contains a vivid portrayal of events before, during, and after a suicide attempt. It may be too intense for some listeners. The following is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and this is a story of doubt, fear, loneliness, brokenness, and redemption. This is the way it usually works during a podcast interview. You come into the venue, you get the equipment all set up and squared away. Then you start asking questions, and the person you're interviewing starts answering them. When you're finished, the process starts all over again in reverse. The equipment you've set up now gets torn down and packed away, ready for the next interview. After talking to Cliff Champion, however, a much different scenario unfolded after our interview concluded. Cliff was a longtime NASCAR crew member and crew chief. At one time or another, he worked for virtually every team in the garage in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. He wasn't exactly suitcase Jake Elder, but he was close. When I thought our interview was over, I began to pack up. Cliff and my mentor and friend, Steve Wade, kept right on talking, catching up on life. It didn't bother me. Steve is perfectly content letting me do the heavy lifting, the grunt work, the Sasquatch work. Usually, I don't pay a lot of attention to the conversations going on around me. I'm busy, remember? This time, I couldn't help but hear Cliff tell the rest of his story, and I couldn't help but ask if Cliff would be willing to go back on the record. This was important, and somebody out there needed to hear what he had to say. I didn't know who, I didn't know where they might be, and I didn't know their circumstances. But somebody needed to hear it. Cliff began working in NASCAR with his cousin, longtime NASCAR independent driver Bill Champion, in 1974. Stints with other independents like James Hilton and Richard Childress evolved into a job with Rainier Racing, just in time for the 1980 Daytona 500. Here he is coming out of turn number four, and after all those years of effort, all those heartbreaks, the 1980 Daytona 500 waving like mad as he crosses the line. Buddy Baker has done it, but not without a heart stopper just at the finish as the caution came out. The Rainier Racing crew ecstatic over their win. Just like that, Cliff found himself in victory lane for the sport's biggest race with Buddy Baker and the famous number 28 Grey Ghost. By 1984, Cliff had been named crew chief for Benny Parsons. Together, they won the spring race in Atlanta. Off of turn number four, he sees the checkered flag, and he gets it. Benny Parsons wins. But Cliff's celebration was short-lived. We won the race at Atlanta, and we left out and stopped at the Red Lobster coming up from the racetrack right there, carried the trophy in and set it in the middle of the table and ate dinner at the Red Lobster right there. You get home, and all the guys' wives meet you at the shop. And I didn't have anybody. So they all meet, and I just kind of sitting there by myself, and I drive home, walk in the house. It's dark, you know, quiet. 
turn on the TV. You know, sit there, you know, by then it's one or two o'clock in the morning and you're sitting there, hmm, won the race today. Guess I'll watch another TV show. And there was no, when the race is fun, but when there's nobody to share it with, it's almost like a tree falling in the forest. There's nobody to hear it. Did it really happen? It was, it was the same kind of a thing. So uh, I realized then that relationships were something else because you work your whole life. And I'd been to Victor Circle with other drivers. This was the first one that I was crew chief for. It was my first, you know, big win right there. And then it was like, eh, it seemed like no big deal. There was, is this all it is? Cliff was married shortly thereafter, and he continued working with a number of different teams in NASCAR the next several years. But then... In the off-season between the 1990 and 1991 seasons, darkness fell. Cliff found himself not only without a job in the sport, but also with a marriage that was in shambles. I got down the road, got in between jobs and stuff, and and life just got tough right there. Like I said, I I didn't realize uh, how bad it was, and she just announced she was leaving. So uh, with, without having a wife or a job or, you know, having anything right there to uh, hold on to, I, I went to those dark places. More often than not, those dark places came during the quiet stillness of the night when he had nothing but his thoughts and the four walls of his empty home to keep him company. In those rock-bottom moments, Cliff could see no way out of the fix he was in. A lot of people don't realize, you know, it happens at night, you know, and, and most of your suicide attempts, things like that, are, are late in the hours because when the sun comes up, it's a pretty day the next day and you got hope. I mean, it's like when you don't have a job and you say, I'll find me a job today. But at the end of the day, you're like, man, I still don't have a job, you know, and you go back into that dark hole again at the, at the nighttime. In complete despair, Cliff made three suicide attempts. The first came in October of 1990 with one more in each of the next two months. The third attempt came as Christmas approached. It was very nearly successful. I had gone, I had gone in the house, and I took uh, two bottles of sleeping pills, and uh, somebody had given me a bottle of Captain Morgan's rum, and I washed it down with that and went to bed with uh, the intent of never waking up. Two friends of Cliff's from the racing community, Gary Brooks and Johnny Bruce, grew suspicious that something was amiss. If it hadn't been for them, Cliff Champion would probably not have survived. The next morning, I guess Gary had seen my truck in the driveway, and everybody knew I was in bad shape, uh, mentally in bad state. So uh, Gary knocked on the door, no answer, so he called JB, and he said, "I I think we need to get him out of there. So uh, they called the police, and they came. When they broke the door down, they said that I walked around the corner, uh, stark naked with the eyes rolled back in my head, said, all you can see is the whites of your eyes. And I don't remember any of it. Cliff was in a coma for a couple of days. Not long after being released from the hospital, Bill Parsons called. He needed a crew chief for the Bush Series team he was starting. Cliff was up front with Parsons and told him the full extent of the struggles he was facing. I said, look, Phil, I said, man, I need to talk to somebody. I said, uh, I ain't doing real well. I said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not so stupid. I said, the, I've tried three times. The first time I wanted to kill myself. The second time I was crying out for help. And the third time I was trying to kill myself. 
I said, so sooner or later, I'm going to succeed. I'm not so stupid. You know, I'll, I'll get it right sooner or later. To Phil Parsons' great credit, he didn't turn away from his new crew chief. He didn't second-guess himself and wonder if hiring Cliff had been the wrong call. Instead, Parsons put Cliff in touch with Max Helton, the founder of Motor Racing Outreach. At best, Cliff was noncommittal. He'd never really given Faith much thought one way or the other. At worst, he considered those kinds of beliefs to be for the weak. I wasn't against God, but somebody asked me one time, he said, do you believe in God? I said, well, not really. You know, I mean, I said, I don't have any feelings one way or the other. They said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, how do you feel about the price of tomatoes over in Somalia? <laughs> Same way with me. <laughs> For all of the incredible perks racing has to offer, it can also become a grind. Those in the traveling circus that is NASCAR might be on one coast one week, the other coast the next, with little to no downtime in between. It's not anything out of the ordinary to wake up in the middle of the night and not be able to remember what town you're in. I mean, I was racing. Yeah. I, I was busy yeah. racing. I mean, people don't realize how involved you got in racing back then. I mean, you were running full-time all the time. There wasn't yeah. as many people in the shop. You were working late at night and stuff. I mean, when I was working over at uh, Copenhagen team, I went to the bank one day, and I asked the lady, I said, what's the date today? I said, what, what's the date? She goes, uh, 23rd. I said, no, what's the date? She says, Monday. I said, Lee, what month is this? <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't have a clue what month it is. You know, when you're racing that hard, instead of you don't know who the governor is, you don't know who the president is, you don't know who anybody is. Yeah, you're right. just, yeah. you know, yeah. you know where you're going to be next week. You're going to be at the yeah. racetrack. And, and all of y'all know that as you're going along, I mean, everything you relate said, when did you get married? Well, let's see. It was, uh, we got married in between the break between Daytona and hey, that everything relates to between this week and that week of what racetrack is. And that, that's what that. you don't know yeah. what month it was. They said, well, was it the fall race? It was a spring race. So it must have been May. You know, that's, that's the only way you know. Helton invited Cliff to an end of the season retreat in Hilton Head, South Carolina. He hitched a ride to the retreat with Bobby Hillen, who had helped Helton found MRO a couple of years earlier. He went into the event dubious. He came away a full-fledged believer. That first day, they had some of the best speakers down there, and I said, I'll be honest with you. I said, I didn't see God. I said, I didn't, didn't talk to him, nothing like that. But I heard these guys, and the feeling, I said, I came here not only wanting to die, but trying to die, crawl around on the floor, trying to die. And I left here jumping up and down with joy. I mean, it was like you threw a switch like that. Although Cliff's decision was life-changing, things were still far from perfect. He still struggled, and he struggled mightily. It's not a magic pill. I mean, it doesn't all of a sudden, all your life is rosy. But what it does is it gives you the strength and tools to get through the other things. I mean, there were some rough times, but I'm telling you, God and the Holy Spirit have their hand in your life. When I was working for Phil, there'd still be some tough times. I remember one night I crouched down behind the race car. 10th, I'd stay at work because I had no place to go, nothing to go home to. So it'd be 1030 at night. I remember especially one night I'm, I'm kneeled down behind the race car just crying. He said, God, this, this is tough. And they're saying, I don't, I don't care anymore. You know, I just, it, it's hard. This time around, 
just the right people were placed in Cliff's path at just the right time. And all of a sudden the phone would ring, 10.30 at night, and he'd be late speed. He'd say, Cliff, I don't know what you got going on, but God told me to call you. Wow. And it lifts you right back up, and that happened several times. I'd say two or three times that happened. Somebody, right when I was down, somebody would call. Tragically, Cliff lost everything he owned, and a dock worker was killed when the charter boat he owned was engulfed in flames in a June 2008 refueling accident. But I had two crew people on the top deck, two girls, and they dove off the top of the boat, and the guy that was uh, doing the party for his daughter... He was inside, and I had just walked upstairs to get my briefcase to uh, come in and write him a receipt right there. And when I opened the door, it blew me in the briefcase. It blew me back out the front. And uh, luckily, he was off to the side because the blast came up the hallway. And uh, so I went in and told him to get out and stuff. And we ran, and we found everybody, but we couldn't find the boy. And uh, Mm. by then, the whole thing was engulfed in flames, and it was just too late then. Still... Cliff Champion never lost faith. If you're struggling right now, please know that you are not alone. Call 1-800-273-8255 or text GO to 741-741 to reach a trained crisis counselor. Share what you thought about this glorious white-knuckled, God-fearing, spun-out, and half-turned-over racing story with us at Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Glorious Racing Stories is a production of Dirty Mo Media, hosted by me, Rick Houston. This show is produced by Andrew Curland, executive producers Mike Davis and Jason Schultz. Artwork is by Sean Sin. Special thanks to Leah Vaughn. Broadcast audio is credited to CBS. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Check out Dirty Mo Media. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo.